there's always those moments when your mom sets you up outside and you're holding your lunch and you have, you know, the sweatshirt on because it's, it's becoming fall wherever you are and you dread the photo, you dread it. But it's first day back in school, this grade, next grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, you dread it. We don't dread this. And if we could do a photo quickly, we may, because it's exciting to be back with one of the great podcasts that surrounds prospects in college baseball. To be specific, this isn't a college baseball podcast per se. This is about the future of the game. See Nolan Shanowell, our last guest on Amateur Hour, a man who was on our last edition as we wrapped up the school year, who was one of the great stories of the Angels that had so many bad stories this year. That's this podcast. Annie Wexelman, Darren Sutton. This is school year 23-24, episode one of Amateur Hour, and my producer, Danny Wexelman, pulled out all the stops. Jag Caglione is on this show, the Florida star. Uh, he joins us, could be number one pick. I've seen mock drafts that have him eight. Uh, he is certainly special because he throws 99 as he tries to harness his command. But last year, he also hit 33 home runs to lead the nation. And then Nick Kurtz will join us. For a school that is known for pitching, he's known for power. A 1,300 OPS last year. Neither one of these players were draftable. They both would have been first-round picks. I've seen Kurtz as high as six in mock drafts going ahead to next year, but they could go one, two. Danny, you pulled out all the stops on this show. I'm so glad to be back on campus. I love that we posed for our pictures earlier for our moms. It was so cool. Um, you were a little sassy to your mom. Work on that. Um, Man, I'm glad we're back with this podcast. There's nothing new there. It's new year, same Danny, sassy with my mom. So how cool is this? If you look back to last year, just a little plug, if you are just finding us, is we had a majority of the first round picks on our show last year. Paul Skeens and Dylan Cruz, one, two, for example, we had them on this podcast. And so now we're, I wanted to get started with a bang. I wanted us to have two really big guests. The guys didn't disappoint at all. And I think what's cool is they feel like the next generation of guys who are so developed and are, are these big personalities already. And, and you'll get to know them, I think a little bit better in the podcast. Who are they? Where do they come from? What are they looking forward to? These are guys who I think scouts are already drooling over, but they have been for a really long time for good reason. They should be drooling over these guys. But, you know, Nick Kurtz, you talked about last year College World Series and a really important moment for him that he wasn't able to be a part of because he was hurt and what he went through there and and watching Jack go through his Tommy John surgery at Florida and what that moment was like for him, the adversity they've already faced, but they're at powerhouse programs. Wake Forest is about to be on another level and Florida and Kevin O'Sullivan, it, it's the standard. They, they raise the bar every single year and Jack is going to be two way for as long as he can. So I was just excited to get these guys to start the year. I wanted us to, to, to have our best, you know, our, our, our best clothes, our best smiles, everything top notch for the podcast as we get started with this year, which I think is going to be a really good one. Yeah. Both these conversations are great. And uh, also on this show, a little slice of the pie of perfect game college baseball, our streaming weekly show. We like to share that. Hunter Pence is my co-host on that show, and I feel it's appropriate, again, to go top shelf, if you will, a little bit of the conversation that Hunter and I had with, with, with Coach Esker of Stanford, a team that now over the last three years has gone to the College World Series. Uh, and then David Ronsley and I were recently at Jupiter, and if you're looking ahead to college baseball, David Ronsley picked the finest commits and how they performed in some who maybe have outperformed themselves at the Worldwood Bat Association World Championship past arriving on campus. So maybe you get a little bit nervous if you're a college baseball fan because maybe your player is too good now and he may be getting a paycheck come next July. That's our podcast. I have several thoughts on both our prospects. I'll save them for the close. Let's see how you feel. If you agree with some of the thoughts I have at the end, but go ahead and listen to these two human beings who've changed their lives in very different ways forever. We're excited to be back on campus. We're excited Amateur Hour is back. And Danny crushed it. Two amazing guests. Let's go. Jack Caglione, one of, one of my favorite guys coming through this time, you know, through the years watching it. And I think, Jack, what was fun watching you and a lot of your athletes, and, and I don't always want to make this a center point um, for, for when we talk about time and history, but it is time and history. You, during the summer of 2020, when we all were scared to just go across the street sometimes, 
took on a lot of baseball and you grew and you challenged yourself. And, you know, it was a, it was at a pivotal point for you. You had one more year planned high school. As you look back on that summer of 2020, heck, I even think we gave you an award uh, as the two-way player of the year award. It turned out to be prophetic as given out by perfect game. But as you look back on the summer of 2020, you balled at the WWBA, at National Elite, you threw 94, um, obviously a PG All-America. What do you recall about that unique summer, specifically, Jack, as it pertains to baseball? Yeah, I mean, that summer was definitely a weird time. You know, you go to all those major events and everything, and everything had to be kind of spread out. Um, being in, a, we were in Oklahoma City for the All-American game, and Honestly, it was a really cool town. It was a cool um, just kind of setting for everybody to kind of get around each other. And I didn't really know a lot of the players there, aside from obviously the ones that played on my travel team. But I guess kind of just like the culture that was created and kind of cultivated throughout PG All-American, creating a bunch of new friends and all that was, it was great. I mean, like you said, it was different playing with the masks and, you know, having to go through all these obstacles just to get out on the field. But in the end, I mean, it was all worth it. It's interesting because some interesting, some great things have been said about you by scouts, some unique articles I've read. Um, that was just kind of the beginning of your adversity and challenges. And there are some real positive ones I want to get to later on in this conversation. You know, when you found out that TJ was going to be what had to happen for you, um, we're looking now at about a year after that, after you go through that challenging summer. Um, talk to me a little bit about your headspace, because, boy, by the time you came through and put a bat in your hands and had that first at bat the next year in 22. Um, I'm sure there were very challenging times, especially maybe when you were alone, just thinking it through. But tell me about your headspace when you found out TJ was coming and how you planned that you were going to attack it. Because you had such a high ceiling, but how did you plan to attack it? Um, well, I mean, nobody ever really wants to go through any type of injury like that. Um, it was definitely really sudden. It was right before we got to campus here at Florida. And... I didn't really know what to expect uh, coming in as a freshman. Um, I knew that it was something, you know, you're going to have to work on day in and day out with the arm care and the therapy and all that. And my biggest thing was, you know, people always say sometimes you come back throwing harder due to all of, you know, the arm care and the therapy that you do. And I kind of made that my goal. I, you know, wanted to treat my body the best I could. Um, and really just kind of ensured nothing like that would ever really happen again. And luckily, you know, everything was going well, but I also kind of took the time to kind of reinvent how I went about things. Um, I mean, you saw me in high school, my swing then and my swing now, it's changed a lot. And, you know, all that really is credit to Chuck Drollman at Florida. You know, he's helped me with a lot, you know, on the mental side and the physical side of things. And finally being able to play in 2022, you know, obviously not throwing or doing anything like that, but just coming into DHing, it was, it was really nice to kind of see, you know, all those like nights alone, working hard, really just trying to get back and help my team win. And having that come to fruition was a really good feeling. Sorry, Danny, I have just one more quick follow-up. Life goes so fast, man. I'm in the middle of it right now. We're in Jupiter, Florida. Um, you know, the summertime, junior into senior year goes so fast. You're graduating high school. You're taking tests. You're living life. Blah, blah, blah. Life goes fast. To me, having to pause and focus is you just touched on it, right? You wanted to come back, you know, as one of the positive statistics that threw harder. But I'm going to guess that that time where you couldn't play, dude, you had no choice. You weren't allowed to play. And life slowed down for the first time in a long time for you. I can't imagine how beneficial that was. You never would have chosen it, and you didn't want to choose it. But you're talking about the benefits. You're talking about working on the minutia of your swing, not having to go out and working on something in the cage and then hit tomorrow against Tennessee. No, you had a full year. I'm going to guess that whole life moves fast thing, and you got off the fast lane completely as far as gameplay went. Man, you're reaping the benefits for that. It certainly seems like it. Am I, am I reaching there? No, I mean, none of this could be possible with, like, the support system that I have. And, you know, with how great these coaches are here at the University of Florida, all they've done is really build me up and kind of get me to where I am today, along with, obviously, high school coaches and all of that. Um, I'm, I'm a gamer, you know. There's no part of me that ever wants to sit on the sidelines and just kind of watch everything happen, knowing that I can't really do anything about that. So 
it honestly just kind of added some fuel to the fire coming back, you know, facing Tennessee that weekend. And yeah. Along those lines, because we talk a lot about the, the who, when it comes to Tommy John or comes to recovering from an injury, but I, I actually kind of want to know about the how. How did people support you? What did they say? How did they treat you? You know, what what did that look like from from your perspective? And and however they may have done it, why was that the way that was most beneficial to you? Yeah, I mean, my parents really, you know, they're there every step of the way. My dad was very vocal with, you know, pushing me through like the tough days. Um you know, when things weren't feeling great and you're, you know, looking at the timeline of recovery and you're sitting there, you're like, dang, I still have 10 months left of this. Um, how's this going to shape out? You know, what's my role going to be? Am I going to be, you know, just a position player? Am I still going to pitch? And just kind of a lot of, I guess, animosity, not really knowing what was going on and just really the support staff. And um, it's like my coaches, they really knew how to get me through every day. I would, you know, play first in the scrimmages before I could throw or anything and, you know, just kind of go through the motions of everything. Um, and really kind of once I started getting geared up to being clear to hit in game was really when, you know, I guess the anticipation was building. I was really excited to kind of get back out there and do all that stuff, but still being mindful about, you know, I'm still not throwing. I'm still, you know, I just started getting off a mound at that point. So making sure having like the people who would keep help me keep my priorities kind of where they were. It's like, all right, you're still going to be a pitcher. You're still going to do all this. Like, but right now, especially my freshman year, they were like, you just got to be the best hitter you can be. Like, that's all you, that's all you can do. <laughs> that's all you can do. You'll focus on the pitching stuff, you know, before the games or after the games or during practice and everything, but really just kind of, they're just always there. I mean, that's really the simplest answer for it. I don't, I don't know if we emphasize that part enough. We, I love to hear the who, the who is so important, right? But how did they do it? Because that's really, that's a really big mental hurdle, right? You're, you get to school, you have the surgery, you throw out your red shirt, you, you, you finish the season hitting, but last season was the first full year of hitting and pitching. And so we got to really see what you have been working on, what you've wanted to be and, and how you've wanted to develop for your team and, and why Florida was a fit for you. I just want to know, you know, I got to see you in Omaha. I saw you a lot last year. What did you learn about yourself through all the hurdles, all the obstacles, all the ups and downs of your season last year? Um, I mean, kind of what we talk about a lot really as a team and as a whole is, you know, you got to buy into playing for one another. Um, having, you know, 30 something guys in the locker room with you day in and day out, you create like a really strong brotherhood and having those guys there to push you on your bad days, but also be there to celebrate you on your good days. It kind of just makes everything worth it. Um, you're not going to be great every day. You're not going to have your best stuff every day, but you know, there's eight other people on the field who are going to pick you up and just the culture here and the way that we carry ourselves, you know, everybody holds each other to a very high standard. And if we continue to move like that, I think, you know, there's just gonna be a lot more success and it really helps overcoming all those type of hurdles throughout the year. Interesting. I mean, we were talking earlier, I, I read a great article. I forget where I read it about you, but it was a scout talking about you and basically saying what I love about him being a two-way player for as long as he can. And, and, and we look at this as scouts that he's actually dealing with two times the pressure than just a guy who plays short and hits in a game. Fair enough. You could argue that that shortstop has some good pressure when he's out there playing shortstop, but he's talking about when you're walking out there as a starting pitcher, you're bearing the game on your shoulders. Um, no matter how that game goes, you're dealing with pressure and each and every at bat you're dealing with pressure. Uh, has that pressure galvanized you just a little bit? Look, you, you, you basically, I always think about what it would be like uh, to walk in front of a crowd that's as loud as it is in Omaha, where you're the focal point. Um, you're on the mound in the final game. You're hitting homers in the game prior to, to that one. Has that pressure on both sides galvanized you a little bit to where you've been able to slow things down when you're out there playing? Yeah, our coaches here, they, they really preach on slowing the game down. 
Um, I mean, like you said, you're in those stadiums with loud audiences and a bunch of people there to watch you. And, you know, you kind of feel like you have a little target on your back sometimes. But when you realize that you're playing a kid's game and you're just trying to have fun with it, um, sure, you know, there's more opportunities to fail being on both sides of the ball. But I kind of look at it like there's more opportunities to have success as well. Um, You can go out on Saturday and boot a ball at first and then, you know, go throw five innings or six innings the next day and nobody even thinks about anything. Um, There's obviously been points where, you know, it kind of, it's not, I'm not going to say it's a lot, but I'm not going to say like, it's not there, you know, like you, you kind of hear about it, but you just got to push it to the side and just kind of focus on what's like the task at hand. Like how can I help my team win? Such an earned privilege. Look, I, I pitched some mop-up innings in the NAI World Series a million years ago. Like to be to earn that privilege to stand on the mound and get to start in the championship game, to have the big game the game before, it's just an incredible privilege. I mean, it's just so like to earn the right to be there um, is is just it's awesome. It's incredible. So as a pitcher, what are some things that you really focused in on? And you're talking to an old minor league pitcher, not a very good one, but. Be as descriptive as you want, as you're in the shop, if you will, and you're fine-tuning some of the things about your mechanics, about your delivery. What are one or two things um, from that last game in which you pitched in Omaha until today that you've mentally and physically worked on as it pertains to you as a pitcher? Um, I mean, that last game in Omaha, it's pretty much like a day doesn't go by where you don't really think about something like that. Um, I never want to be... I guess the biggest things that I'm trying to work on really is to push myself through innings, you know, work myself deeper into games. Um, Just go out there, relax. You know, we look at the numbers, you know, balls in the zone. People aren't really doing a whole lot off of it. So really just relaxing on that aspect and kind of instead of trying to be extremely nasty and make, you know, something out of nothing, just like, you know, really just try to let them hit it. Hopefully, you know, it'll fall. The cards will fall where they may, but you just got to pound the zone and go out there and attack. And that's just really what we've been focusing on so far this offseason. No pitch grip tweakings, nothing on your landing spot, nothing on, you know, anything else, not, nothing within the minutia of pitching that you've tweaked? Um, yeah, I'm trying some things out here and there and really just throwing a bunch out to see what sticks. But, you know, it'll... That was such a non-specific answer, by the way. That was such a non-specific answer. There's, there's some, there's some stuff in the works. You know, hopefully everything will go good. I can't, I can't, I can't let too That's much right. out. Now. He's like, wait and see. Fair enough. Wait and Fair see. Enough. We'll wait and see. That's fine. What, what you can tell. We'll see what sticks. Yeah. I love that. What you can tell us, I know, because you said how your swing has evolved so much. So, like, break that down for us. Like, give us how you started, where you are now, um, and why that's been the difference maker for you. Yeah. So on the hitting side of things, for me, it's always been less is more, you know, I've never really had a leg kick. I don't really feel like I need to reach for power to really any part of the ballpark. It's staying short and sweet. Um, and really just focusing on like strikes on awareness, you know, where he's picking up pitches out of hands and kind of just getting a better feel for where I, my strengths are rather than kind of giving in to what the pitcher's throwing. I, I'm i interested, too, like, after you finish a game where you've played two-way and you've done both, how do you, like, decompress, or how do you separate your performance on the mound, what you did in the box, maybe if if one went better than the other? Like, what is your process post-game uh, just thinking through everything that's happened and then maybe flushing it. But how does that work for you when you have done both that day? Well, me and Sully really worked hard at kind of separating the two. You know, it's like if you strike out one AB, it's you don't need to drag that with you out on the mound like you have another job to do. And I basically kind of had like physical cues, you know, whenever I pick up my pitching gloves, like, all right, like, Forget whatever happened, you know, your last A B, you gotta get these next three outs and then, you know, you can start worrying about the hitting side of things. And same thing when I go and grab my bat after the first inning, it's like, all right, I'm a hitter now. Um you start looking at the charts, like what does this guy throw? And you get kind of into that. And it was kind of just a good rhythm. 
um, really separating the two. It was honestly kind of weird because I think I had more of my multi-home run games on the day that I pitched. So I was more worried about, you know, performing on the pitching side of things where hitting was almost like stress-free. <laughs> It, it is true. It's amazing how those two two things work together. What is it like, I mean, strength-wise, when you are doing something that involves your legs so much, right? But then when you're in the box, you're using so many different parts of your body, right? It is so mechanical um, as well as pitching. So, like, just kind of if you can, I don't even know if you can verbalize it, but you're coming from the mound, you're getting in the box. Like, what does that feel like for your body? Towards the end of the year, I was feeling a little bit. I'm not going to lie, just overall. But um, when it comes to the game, <laughs> when it comes to the games, um, like I said, at the plate, there's not really much movement that kind of goes on with my lower half. So it's really just like keeping everything kind of short and sweet, making sure you're not trying to overdo anything, really just keeping it simplified. And on the mound, you know, obviously you exert a lot more energy when it comes to throwing pitches. So it was almost like conserving energy while you were hitting to save some for the tank while you were pitching. And I don't know if that's what really relaxed me or what, but I don't know. It, it works. Hey, um, I, I'm not going to let you go before we don't give you a chance to lift up your sister. Do, do we call her Sam or Samantha at home? What do we call her? We call her Sam. I call her Sammy sometimes. Sam, Sammy, Sammy played a little bit of volleyball at one point in college. Does she still compete? And, and tell me a little bit about your relationship, uh, you know, uh, the two of you and, and, and Sammy and Jack and the relationship there. Oh, I mean, it's the typical sibling rivalry growing up. You know, we were always at each other's throats, always messing around and getting on each other's nerves. But really, once we kind of got to high school and we started driving to school together, I mean, we became pretty much inseparable. We talked just about every day. She, uh, you know, whenever she's having a rough day, she'll always call me. I'll always call her, vice versa, and all that. She's always been there. She's definitely somebody who gives some good advice. And I don't know. I mean, she's like a built-in best friend. I know people say that a lot. But it's nice to have somebody like that that you know, you know, you can always talk to with anything. What a great answer. My sister turns 50 very soon, and she's in the, in the same boat. It always has been that, that best friend and that, that communicator. I'm good, D. I, I love learning. Are you good? Yeah, I think my last one, I actually just saw this um, the other day. It, it is so unrelated. But for the World Baseball Classic, somebody was trying to figure out all the different teams that you could play for. So, number one, does that event interest you <laughs> one day? And number two, what – can you name all the countries that you would qualify to play for? Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's, I'm pretty sure it's everybody's dream to play in the WBC at one point in their life. Um, I think it's uh, the Netherlands, my dad and his mom's side, um, Italy, Puerto Rico, the USA. Um, I think there's like one or two more in there. I can't really remember, but there's there's a few and. My dad always asks me, he's like, so who would you rather play for? I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't know how many, like, I, I can't distinguish between how many there are. So like, we'll have to wait and see, I guess. Oh, man. Well, we will. I know we will for sure. Um, that That's all I had. I, You know, I know Darren and I are excited for your season and what's ahead for you. We've been able to watch you grow up and watch you grow on the field. So it's been a treat. And we're, we're really grateful for your time. Yeah, thank you, guys. I feel like I'm being a little bit repetitive if you download or follow or, or subscribe to this podcast, but I, I, I want to do it because I hear the good ones do this, podcast hosts, just reminding you why we bring part of PG College Baseball to you. Number one, Hunter Pence is my co-host, and he is as engaged as any former major leaguer all the way up to doing major league baseball. That should tell you enough. It's been a long time since Hunter Pence played college baseball. And most with his ability to be an analyst or an influencer. By the way, he's an amazing influencer. He and his wife, Lexi, aren't dialing in on college baseball. That's what makes it so unique. He sits. He's prepared. Danny's hosted shows with him, too. He's so prepared and dialed in on this. So that being said, every podcast, we're going to take just a little bit as a preview for you to go find Perfect Game College Baseball. Here's Dave Esker, one of my favorite coaches in all of the sport, soon to be Big Ten Coach of the Year in a couple of years. He is at Stanford. Here's Hunter Pence, my co-host, and Dave Esker.
Yeah, Dave, the, the magic exists. That is for sure. I'll never forget the Texas State two years ago, uh, the comeback. You know, that was what a crazy game. And then obviously the things that happened this year. You're running on three years in a row to the College World Series. Ridiculous consistency of excellence. Uh, I want to jump into it's the fall, Dave. And I love this question. Uh, what do you love most about the fall? And what's, what's most important for you and Stanford to accomplish at this time? Well, this fall is going to be different than than probably the last four falls, and and, and again, in the sense we've uh, again we've had a great run and been to the super regional four years and Omaha three, and uh, but we had um, an incredible turnover a year ago. You know, we lost uh, we lost basically our full junior class. We brought in eleven juniors or eleven players in that class of juniors. We lost nine. And uh, so, and, and one of them, Tommy O'Rourke, had he been healthy, we'd have lost 10. Uh, so he's coming back, but, but it's, it's, we lost a senior class and a full junior class. And then unfortunately we lost our, you know, we lost our best sophomore, which, which you don't like to have happen, but it's in, in today's game that can happen. And um, so it's going to be an unbelievably fun fall because we got a lot of teaching to do and we've got to try to get this group which will be the message is, hey, we've we've got to take on the challenge to kind of play beyond beyond our years and beyond our level of experience. And we've got to try to grow you up as fast as we can. And we're going to be patient. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to go to the whip anytime soon, but we've got to, you know, we got to bring them along and try to try to speed up their their experience level as fast as we can and get them ready to play against, you know, great competition. What what is kind of the process of that? Like like how do you speed them up? Uh, you know, sometimes you say slow down to speed up, uh, and a lot of times you know we talk about slow heartbeat. Uh, what is kind of your process to to make you know guiding that? And and how is the fall? You know, how do you develop this fall versus you know possibly past falls with more experienced teams? Well, obviously we're we're, we're probably not overhauling a bunch of swings or necessarily like we've got to get them into play at game speed. You know, we'll probably try to compete as often as we can, whether it's even competitive batting practices where, where, Hey, you got to get a hit and we're going to count hits and we're going to count hard hit balls. And we've got to, you know, we got to pit you versus somebody else or one group versus the other. We've got to try to play as many SIM games as we possibly can to try to get them to just catch up to what the speed of the game is going to be like. And then we just got to give them as much game experience as we can. And, uh, you know, obviously we return Malcolm Moore, who's just an unbelievable catcher, but we only return one Malcolm Moore and the other, the other eight are going to be, uh, kids. We got to, we got to catch up. Uh, we've got some experience, the, the shortstop Becerra who ended the year last year. And then the shortstop Cobb, who was there right before him, those two are back. And, uh, we've got some other kids sprinkled around who have some experience, but for the most part, it's going to bring it on whatever freshmen are going to be able to help us. And we do think that a lot of them will on the mound. Um, uh, they're going to play important roles. Um, but we've had good success of having guys who have been waiting on the in the wings that they step forward and have had big years for us. We just need about four or five of them to do that probably this year. I'm going to start this one, D. Um, I, I am excited. Nick, you are a part of our first podcast for the 2023-24 season. I know it's fall. I know you're back on campus and there's so much excitement right now for Wake Forest, for you. I, I want to start, though, with last year and just the team that you were on, because for me, I think it was one of the most unique teams I've ever had the chance to cover. And not only because of collectively uh, together, but also individually, you all were these different personalities that mesh together. So maybe just take us back for a second and you've had some time to reflect what made last year's team so special. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely the bond that you kind of mentioned earlier that we had, you know, we were, most of us were together my freshman year, which was 22. Um, most of us were that time together there. And then building after that season to last year, we kind of all knew each other, added a couple new faces to the team. And we've already, we kind of already had our team culture already kind of like put in place at that point. It was just kind of getting those transfers and freshmen on board, and that went as smooth as possible. I mean, we do a retreat every year, and we found out who our identity was that that year, and we kind of stuck to it. I mean, each each player personally, like they're a different person. You know, there's not many Tommy Hawks on the, on different teams, not many Rhett Ladders, Tim McGraws, all these different guys, and for some reason, we all just meshed super well, and it was the most fun team I've ever been a part of, for sure. 
said legacy at your team retreat. Yeah. Yes. So I read that book and it's, it's got a really good message. There's a lot of things you can take away life, sports, whatever it may be. When you read that, because I feel like that's also a key to what you're talking about. When you read the book, what did you take away from that that you used last year? Maybe you're hoping to also input into this season. Yeah, most of the stuff we talked about a lot was the All Blacks out of New Zealand. You know, their whole story, how they do things there is kind of something we wanted to implement into our team. And I feel like that's something like, you know, we, we go through our practice and be like, you're not doing something right. Like, would the All Blacks do that? No, they wouldn't. So then that's kind of, kind of got us back on track every time. And obviously the name of the book is Legacy. So we wanted to, you know, leave a legacy here at Wake Forest. We wanted to be probably the best baseball team ever to play at Wake Forest, hopefully until this year. And so that's one of those things we wanted to do every single day. What about the Kurtz men, if you don't mind? A little bit about uh, Dad Jeff, college baseball player, played in Jersey. Brandon was your assistant coach for a bit in high school, older brother. Logan, college baseball player, played at an offshoot campus of Penn State, a secondary campus there. Um, the, the Kurtz men and, and their baseball passion, what gives there? There is a ton of it. Yeah, I mean, I just remember growing up, they, I, I had a bat in my hands as, as early as I can remember. Uh, I mean, our, our passion, each and one of us, was baseball. You know, we come home from school, we're going to go play catch. If we're not playing catch, we're playing wiffle ball in the backyard. It's one of those things that we just were learned or we just love to do every single day and we can enjoy with each other. So that was pretty awesome. And, you know, my brothers and my dad, they're my biggest fans, which is, which is pretty special. And, you know, just seeing them at every game they can get to is awesome. Storytell. I know they're a little bit older than you with your brothers, but take me into a backyard, whether it's, you know, over the line, you know, there's tape ball, there's yeah. something, hit it off the garage, the fence, whatever. I need a non-real game, yet it felt like a real game. Kurt's men competitive battle. <laughs> I remember young when I was a kid, uh, it was me and my one brother versus my dad and my other brother. And I remember this one time, this, I was young, I can't remember, four or five, and my dad's pitching to me, you know, he gets real close because I'm young at the time, and I absolutely smoke one right off his head. And that was, that was the last of those games that we played. That's, that's one thing I do remember. I love that. I, I wish there was video of that. We would love to include that in this show. <laughs> But your description, and I'm, and I'm sure Jeff remembers, I'm sure he clearly remembers that I love that. Good, the Kurtz men and their baseball battles, good stuff, man. How about mom in there, in, in part of all of that? Where was yeah. mom when that was happening? <laughs> mom was making sure I'm getting in, doing my school work. Uh, mom was the person to go talk to about things other than sports. Uh, she's like you know, the best friend in the house, you know, she's one that you go talk to every single day. So that's that was her role. I mean, taking me to practice, taking me home, doing all the little stuff as well. I feel like where you are right now and and how you've gotten to this point, it kind of all makes sense. I, I feel like, you know, the fact especially that you're on this team now that, I mean, I feel like the guys from the 2000 season, the 21 season, they really kind of paved the foundation um, and, and allowed you to get to this point too. You were part of that. But um, when you think about your family and you think about where you are now, what, what, would, you know, what would you say have been the defining moments, whether it was getting into baseball, playing basketball, whatever it was, the defining moments to get you to here? Yeah, I for, sure, I for sure think playing as many sports as I possibly could when I was a kid, you know, trying out everything, see what I loved, see what I didn't, and then what I did love, it made me just, as, like, playing basketball, playing football, that made me just as better on the baseball field, for one. And then my decision to go to boarding school uh, my sophomore year was probably the biggest decision I made. It's probably the thing that's helped me the most to get where I am today. You know, just being independent, living on your own, time management, doing your own thing, make sure you get your work in, like, that's one thing I had to learn when going there. I was 16 years old and I was on my own pretty much. And, you know, I, I knew a couple guys there. Danny Corona was there, obviously, with me. Um, Cooper Kinney, who was a draft pick a couple years ago, had a great year. So those are two guys that, you know, I spent a lot of time with in the cages, you know, out on the field. And I also played basketball there, which, so kind of always keeping busy was probably the biggest thing for me. Real quick, just, just to follow up. So the early phone calls, maybe back home to mom, what what were the calls for? What did you what did you need the most help with having to do that all on your own? Uh, laundry, laundry was the first one. <laughs> it 
Yeah, I didn't really, I didn't know how to do laundry until I got to boarding school, but I had to learn that one real quick. For sure, yeah. <laughs> well, what'd she tell you? How does one do laundry? Well, how, how is that, uh, how, how does one do laundry? Throw a Tide Pod in there, throw your clothes in there, set it for an hour, and then just put it in the dryer. That's pretty much what I do. Colors? No, no, <laughs> no concerns about colors? No, I don't know. No concerns about colors. So, so, <laughs> so there's laundry and then there's time management. And that's the other thing that's interesting. There are a lot of young athletes that are going to listen to this that, that want to be uh, Nick Kurtz, that want to be talked about like Nick Kurtz is being talked about in a couple of years, 14, 15, 16 years old, that are falling all over themselves in time management, that they can't break through in time management, that they're maybe getting four hours of sleep along with that time management, which is a punch to the chin too. What are some of your tips to time management if I'm a young athlete who has some skill who wants to be a Kurtz man? For me early on, it was kind of like planning out my day the night before. You know, wake up now, I gotta go to school, do my classes, and I'm gonna have practice, and I gotta do whatever I need to do there, and then I'm gonna have a certain amount of time in my own free time. So from, from right after practice, I'll go to the cage, or I'll, right after basketball practice, especially in the winter when I was doing other sports, right after that, I grab food, go to the cage, I come home and I go back and I do my work and then I do that every single day and try to like stay on a schedule. That's the easiest thing, have a routine uh, that you try to do every day. And I mean, it's not, you're not gonna be perfect. I'm still not perfect to it, doing it today. I mean, it's even even harder now. But and that was that was the biggest thing for me is kind of knowing what I'm what I need to do the next day and just getting it done. It's interesting too because um, that time management, you lay the foundation, then it carries into being a man in college. Now you're doing things like this where you have school, you have baseball, and then you have media obligations. So, so you're right. <laughs> it, it, it adds more and more. I wanted to ask one of the last guests we had last school year, interestingly enough, is already in the big leagues, is Nolan Shanowell. And one of the things the Florida Atlantic hitter, who's now in the big leagues with the Angels like in a month and a half, um, his big thing was plate discipline. He, did, he didn't and never will have the pop that you have. But his plate disciplines, even playing at the highest levels right away, which is kind of crazy. For you, I see the same kind of plate discipline. I see a ton of walks, not very many strikeouts. I see a tall guy, so it's not supposed to be that way, they told Freddie Freeman when he was younger, um, who manages with a big strike zone to still have plate discipline. What are some of the keys for you stepping into the box, facing velo, good spin, that you have grown in plate discipline? How have you grown in that area where you can still do damage but yet be disciplined? Yeah, I think the easiest thing in regards to play discipline is just loading and starting everything early. For me, that's the biggest thing that helps me. If I start early, I can see the ball better. Whatever I'm looking for in that particular at-bat, I can kind of just shut everything else out and say early. In the, so I feel like I'm a very patient hitter, and I, I wait for my pitch, and when I get it, I'm going to swing. But I'm patient because I know if I see a pitch once and I see it again, I know where I need Like if it's a slider, I know that it's got to start here for it to be a strike. If it's anywhere else, it's going to be a ball. So that's kind of one of the things is seeing pitches. It's the biggest thing for me. Like, that's what helps me is like, I'd rather, I'd rather hit with two strikes than swing at a pitch that I'm not really sure if it's gonna be a ball or a strike. I feel like if you have that confidence with two strikes, it makes hitting a lot easier. Let's build on that for a second. So how have you gotten to that mindset? Like what's the evolution of, let's say your freshman year, which you obliterated and, and building upon that to remain consistent, to get to this point? How, how has the mindset gotten to what you just said? So I feel like freshman year, it was more like, I don't want to strike out. So like I would take bad swings on balls where I could just put the ball in play so I could just keep my strikeout numbers low and just do anything I can to get on base. And I feel like last year that transitioned to where like, I can still do damage with two strikes. I don't need to change anything with just because it's two strikes. And having that confidence to know the strike zone and know your umpire, that's one of the things you need to learn in order to do that, I feel like. And I feel like I did a really good job of that last year, especially because, like, I have a two-strike approach where, like, before two strikes, I have this big leg kick. And then when I get the two strikes, I go out, I get out wide. And it's one of those things where it just seen, makes seeing the ball a little bit easier. And that helps me personally. It could be different for other people. But that's the biggest thing, I think. Just knowing in my head that I can still do the same damage on an OO pitch than I can with an O2 pitch. We get the the pleasure of getting to talk to you before the season has started, and I, I'm just you know I, the just the thought of where you could be, where your team could be, the, just the excitement around it. I, I know we're going to talk to you come next summer, and, and it's a big summer for you and a draft summer and a draft year, and 
I don't want you to tell us if you've been thinking about it because I'm sure Darren will ask you that. But I do want to know after everything is said and done, after you, you've won the College World Series, because that's the goal. What what do you want people to say about you when the season ends and people are talking about you sitting at that draft desk at the All Star Game? What do you want them to say about Nick Kurtz? Uh, I want them to say I think that that like when they watch me play that it's different from everyone else. Like it's one of the things where they see me and that like, he stands out sort of, not in a way like hitting all these homers with the average and the stats, but like the hustle, the defense, the base running, you know, all sorts of different aspects of the game. That's one of the things I, I, you know, take to heart a little bit more. It's because if you're a good hitter, you're a good hitter. You're gonna hit. People expect you to do so. But it's one of those, those little things that people don't really expect you to do. Those mean a little bit more. Yeah, great question. By the way, that's a really, really good <laughs> question. I wonder where you were going with that, and I love where you landed. That's a very good question, and an even better answer. You know what I hope they say. Dude played with a broken rib and was better than any other hitter in college baseball. How, how did you push through that? How did you push through? You stayed in as long as you could. We all know about sides, obviously, and, and pitching or hitting. You know, if you, you have an adductor that you pull, you're done. You have an ab you pull, you're done. You have a rib. Uh, how did you push through that? How frustrating was it? I'm sure you're, you're strong as ever now, but how frustrating was it? And how did you play through it for as long as you did? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was super frustrating knowing that, like, I couldn't help the team like I normally can. But it's one of those things where if I'm at 80% or 60% or whatever I was at, at the time, like, I'm going to take my bet that I can still kind of get it done. You know, even even in that last game, I couldn't really play. But if there was a runner on second base, I was going to go. I'm going in. That's just, like, kind of who I am. I just I want to be in, in, the, in the box when the game's on the line. Um, and, you know, last game, I, I pulled my oblique also before the game started. So at that point, I was like, I'm more of a liability than helping the team at all. So that's kind of the time where I needed to, like, step down, take a step back, and just be like, I can't do this. Like, I'm hurting the team if I do this. Yeah, it's interesting. It's it, it's tough, but then there's wisdom in it. You know what I love? Because Danny and I talk a lot in this space, um, in her New York space, my studio's out here, with athletes that are younger, too. So we get you, who's on the precipice of greatness and going on to your dream, great college season ahead of you. But then we talk to, you know, a 14, you All-American who wants to be you someday. We have this great range. And I love when you graduated. You were ranked 403rd. You know, you were number 13 first baseman in the country. And I love your smile because I got to uh, not to drop a name, but I sat down with Mookie Betts and had an extensive interview last year who was ranked 350 when he graduated. And Zach Gallen, who was ranked three something, 400 when he graduated. I think the, the, the thing I like to ask these athletes when, in fact, they get to this place and it's no knock on the scouting. It's no knock on the ranking. It's all there. There's something to all of it. It's all good. But what advice do you have for the dude? who's ranked number 403 right now in his class. Because here you are, um, in many eyes, you're ranked number one as we look ahead to the draft. What advice do you have for the dude who's ranked 403 and knows he can be better? Uh, just don't pay attention to the rankings. You know, if you have a chance to go play college baseball and you believe that you're the player you can be, go prove it there. It's, rankings will only get you so far. I mean, if, you can, if you can compete at the highest level, then your rankings will go up. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Simple. I have one more because <laughs> I am dying to know. You know, I, I watched you in the dugout, not able to play. I mean, I, I felt for you. I, I obviously like it's upsetting, but you did watch probably one of the most iconic pitching duels. I think that we've maybe ever seen at that level. I, I don't know how to really rank it but you were in the dugout you were in Wake Forest dugout you had Rhett Louder and Paul Skeens was on the other side so just give me a detail or two or give me something that stood out from that because I I was just in awe for two and a half hours yeah no that was that was a crazy game it was even better game to watch I mean with Rhett Louder that's kind of what we expect <laughs> it's it's kind of bad to say that but he's proved that he can do that and we expect him to do that every time that's what we we, got, we went in the game with Rhett Louder. We had, we, th we felt we were going to win every time. And, I mean, Paul Skeens is a great pitcher, obviously. He did what he did last year, number one overall pick. There's no denying that. So they kind of just did what they did all year in the biggest spotlight, and they deserved all the, all the hype they got. Awesome. Nick, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, guys. It was fun.
another part of this podcast, again, for our first-time listeners, and, and we're glad you found us, is the fact that we want to bring scouts on board. Perfect game, so many talented scouts. As a matter of fact, as far as content creators, we fancy ourselves as content creators. They're far superior because they're, they're present with these athletes all the time from 12, 13 years old, and the content they create most of the time is the written word. But if you can write, you can speak. And if you can write, you understand. And they write so well. So we're not going to ever miss a chance to have Perfect Game Scouts on this podcast. It makes it better. It gives it a lot of credibility. We do a lot of the biographical stuff, but the scouts do just that. David Ronsley joined me in Jupiter, and he picked about eight of the finest players that performed at the Worldwood Bat Association World Championship, which was in the first week of October. It's mainly seniors. It's the number one event on the globe, I think, as far as travel ball baseball goes. Here's David's best date. He'll explain the reason why you're going to hear about some two-way players. You're going to hear about some pitchers. And, and as far as college commit, commits go, you're going to hear about a couple of 25s, which I think is important. Here's what should scare you. Many of these athletes, because what they did at Jupiter, won't be making it to your campus. I apologize in advance. Here's David. Jupiter, Florida, where we welcome you back to Perfect Game Weekly, a recap of the Worldwood Bat Association World Championship, the 25th edition. And this is 24 for this man, David Ronsley, Perfect Game's Vice President of Player Personnel. And, and David, when we see Corbin Carroll on a big stage this October, knowing he was here, when we see players like Royce Lewis, when we see amazing athletes that have come through here, like Mike Trout, we can't think about the next wave. And so for you, I'm gonna put you to work. You saw a bunch of great players, I begged you to whittle it down. You whittled it down for me. And st let's start with two ways, guys that did it on both ends of the baseball. Yeah, two ways are so important here in Jupiter. Get the max out of your pitching staff, get the max out of your hitting. No better two-way player in the country than Cam Caminiti. You know, PG All-American, he was great on the mound. Three innings, seven strikeouts, uh, up to 95 on the fastball. Big sweeping slider. So he did it all on the mound, just what we'd expect him to do. Also picked up three hits and four walks at the plate and contributed offensively. I think he's a pitcher at the next level. I think he wants to do both at the next level. Yeah, he wants to do both. He's from Suaro High School, Scottsdale, Arizona. He's a neighborhood guy. That's why I know all these mm -hmm. important things lives down the street. I love watching him work. Now, a guy who's a Vanderbilt commit, but not nearly as popular of a name, also stepped up his name, Aiden O'Connell. Aiden O'Connell's a top 500 player, doesn't have a ranking yet, even though he is a Vandy sign. He's from New Hampshire. He's had a great summer and fall. He was great here at the plate, two home runs. Hey, two home runs here in Jupiter, that stands out. On the mound, where he's a primary lefty, six innings of two hit ball. He's going to go to Vandy, I'm sure, and he kind of ran, reminds me of a Brendan McKay, who, is, of course, was a National Player of the Year at Louisville a few years ago as a two-way guy. Only five perfect game events. He stayed below the radar on travel ball, but he was the MVP of an event recently in Staten Island. You talked about that good mm -hmm. summer. A couple of pitcher-onlys, and we mean that with all due respect to you pitchers, because just because you don't hit and pitch. And the first one, right-handed pitcher, a Notre Dame commit, pitched at Jupiter in 22. Then we didn't see him again until this year, but he stepped up. This is Cameron Sullivan. Yeah, Cameron Sullivan, another 500-ranked player. We don't have a lot of information on him until this week. Our information now is 91.95, effortless delivery, five one-hit innings, power slider in the mid-80s, just the whole thing, 6'2", 180 pounds, and there's still a lot of projection there, but he really, really leapt up. Perfect game in the scouts' radar. He's from Indianapolis, plays basketball, and plays it well. Kevin and Beth, his parents. Now, right-handed pitcher, Braden Bergman. This is another arm that jumped out. Dallas Tigers, he's a Baylor commit. This is a guy that's bumped a lot. Maybe, David, in the last two or three years, his velo's gone up double digits. How do you do here? Well, every PG scout I talked to, and I talked to many, this was the first guy they mentioned. This is the hot guy from Jupiter, Braden Bergman. He was 95-97 for two innings, six strikeouts, knife through butter, and, and it was just pure stuff. He threw three pitches, quality breaking ball, great slider. Hey, if you throw 95-97 with, with the, I should say, great changeup. Hey, you've got my interest, but he is the hot pitching prospect from this event. Well, Jeff Petty leads the Canes. He had a tweet prior to this event that gained traction. I mean, a half a million views. Challenging players, especially the highest ranked players, to come play in this event. Well, he had a handful of PG All-Americans on his roster. I know a guy who may win the MVP of this event is who you want to talk about next, but 
You want to give some love to some other PG All-Americans who came here too yeah, first. Yeah, well, really two of them. There were a number, but Dante Nori was was the best player on the field for vir virtually every game he played. Speedy leadoff hitter, and then Drew Rogers, the catcher, um, had a 107 exit velocity home run, had a couple other 105 exit velocities, has caught great, is catching right now in the quarterfinals. Those are two I'd like to highlight, but the guy, the guy of this tournament is Hunter Carnes. Hunter Carnes has been outstanding. He's got three home runs so far, a triple. One of those home runs was 115 off the barrel <laughs> per track man. I'm not buying that. There are only 25 players in the big leagues this year who have 115 exit velocity. That's what track man showed, and he's hit three home runs. He's a great story, and he's been the best player here in Jupiter. PG Tech has told us over the last couple of years, and you could see it, short, quick approach. He's gone up nearly 20% in his swing efficiency. It's not a big, crazy wild flailing swing it's amazing what hunter carnes has done bo walker home plate chili dogs this is a gifted outfielder a georgia tech commit he just feel like like he was hitting every game for extra bases yeah and bo walker is a guy i think is gonna be one of the fastest risers next spring in this class he's already established he has six three speed he's been a speed player but this year he's added power in jupiter this year he went nine for 20 with four doubles two home runs, showed the power to all the scouts. I think he's going to go out next spring in high school in Georgia, continue to show that power, combine it with the speed, the projection. I can see him as a very high draft pick next spring. Yeah, he ran a 6-3 at the 22 Junior National. And, and David made the point he had nine hits at this event. Six of them were for extra bases, Bo Walker. Kelvin Paulino Jr., five-star top tier from North Carolina. Now, this is the opposite of some of our earlier players. He's been to nearly 100 perfect game events, it feels like. He is a really high-level travel ball player and plays travel ball a lot. Yeah, and is a 2025, so he's got another year to go. Okay. He's always hit for me. He's hit here. He has a four-hit game, a three-hit game, and he hits happy. He hits loose. He hits confident. If he can get a little stronger and put a little more power into his approach, Darren, I think he's a guy that we might be seeing at Chase Field next August, and you know what that means. Yep. PG All-American Miami commit. He's a, he's a relative of Pedro Borbon for you older folks like me. Big reliever for the Big Red Machine. That's a that's a fun family tie. The final player we want to talk about is a man who played for the, the younger Canes team. His name is Eddie Zahn, another 2025 and another Miami commit. Another Miami kit commit. And the Canes underclass team was outstanding this year. They lost in the in the quarterfinal. And I thought they had another chance to, to go all the way as they have in the past. But Eddie Zahn was their player. Three home runs during pool play, 11 total RBIs, just hit everything. And he reminds me a lot as a 20. 25 of Jonathan India. Mm. It's the same face. It's the same set of tools. He's ranked 47th in the country right now, so he's on the radar. It's a bat per first profile. But Jonathan India, of course, National League Rookie of the Year a couple years ago, former PG All-American. I think he's got a clone and Eddie's on. Good list. Let's go Reds, by the way. How about a Jonathan India mention? <laughs> we just made the show. They're going to the World Series next year, by the way, those Cincinnati Reds. Thank you, David. I appreciate it. Thank you, Darren. So as I told you in the beginning, Here's a couple of my takeaways, and, and go wherever you want with this, because I know um, your mind recollects the conversations far better than mine, and, and I know you'll, you'll touch back to, to what was said. Let's start with Jack. So if you think about Jack, and he, and he loves being Shohei Otani in a sense, I mean, that's almost unfair because he's Jack, uh, with no K, by the way, although there are plenty of Ks when he pitches. Um, Jack, and you look at Shohei Otani pre-Tommy John. When he show had to shut down, just like Jack did, and life goes fast for Jack, life went fast for Shohei. In the big leagues, his OPS plus Shohei pre-Tommy John was 125. That's good. That's way above average. That means he's a really good hitter. Post-Tommy John, his OPS plus is 161. That just means that he stopped his life. He took care of his body because of his arm, in Shohei's case, and he's better as a hitter on the other side. It's the same thing for Jack. Travel baseball is a gauntlet. School is a gauntlet. Having a girlfriend in high school is tough. Being a son, being a daughter, all the things that go into being a prep athlete. Then you get to college, and you got that scholarship. Now there's NAL money. Did I get drafted? No. Life goes fast. He had to stop. He had to stop. And he worked on things he never had. And look at the hitter he is on the other side. I'm not suggesting every single hitter in the world run down and get Tommy John, and right away you're going to hit 33 home runs. That's not at all. But I think it's a fit for him. Here's the other thing that's important, Danny, for me, is that Shohei and Jack also showed 
that when you are shut down, you get under a microscope if you sit on your backside and you aren't aggressive with changing your body. That's the other part of it. And then for Nick, Nick's great. We go this way. You'll hear this on this podcast a lot. We go down the road of, and it's nothing to do with rankings. Rankings are amazing. The job that Greg Sabres does with his team at Perfect Game, vice president of scouting. But a player's ranked where he's ranked, and he earns that ranking. Nick Kurtz graduated ranked 403. We get so stuck in the top 50 because that's a PG All-American. I don't apologize for it. It is what it is. But look at what the dude has done with the 403 ranking. Mookie Betts just now knocked out of the postseason. Mookie Betts graduated high school ranked 300. He's one of the best players in the game. He's generational. I love when players, and I know we touched on this, the Pennsylvania boy goes to college and takes college as a chance to grow up and become a dude. Um, those are a couple of my takeaways on, on those two guys. Okay, so starting with Jack. We've known Jack for a long time. He was a PG All-American. Freshman year, Tommy John, they throw out the red shirt. Kevin O'Sullivan's like, we could use you. What do you think? Talks with his family. They needed his bat, and his bat played his freshman year. And so you didn't get to see him pitch. You didn't get to see the two-way talent for a full season until last year. And the hype around him was insane. And when you really break it down, this is a guy who's really young, who's navigated, navigated COVID through baseball, getting to campus and SEC school, their expectations and the comparisons were every single day. He dealt with those things for better or worse, whether he welcomed it or not. And I think that he did. I think that he absolutely took the challenge on of being Jack Tunney or whatever nickname you wanted to give him. But when you really look at it, I, I wonder sometimes if we were being a little unfair about how much we made those comparisons to him because he's still got a long way to go. You mentioned some of those numbers. You saw what he did. I think that if, uh, you know, I asked him, I was like, what did you learn about yourself this year? I thought that was maybe something interesting because he was under a microscope. Everything he did, every at bat, every pitch. I was talking to his mom while he's on the mound at the college world series and he hits a batter, you know, like, everything was magnified for this guy. And I think he's so talented and the bat is so terrifying. He talks about how he thinks he does better at the plate when he's pitching, right? Because you, you move from, from next to next, there's no time to break it down. But the best thing that he learned from Sully was how to flush things and really needing to work on that part of his game is if it, think about this, most of us, if we have a bat at bat, we just go back in the field and, and we're playing on defense. He's, on the mound in charge of what happens next every single moment revolves around what he does so if he strikes out with the bases loaded in a big moment his team is down he has to go back out no none of us have any idea of what that even feels like so to figure out how to manage that i think has been a big part of his game but i think this year is going to be huge for him i'm 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 interested to see how he's able to build on last year and just being himself. He's such a nice person. He's very thoughtful. I hope that that came across in the interview. I think that it did, but I, I hope that this peeled back a layer for some people about what it's like to be a college athlete. It's very hard. It's very hard. They make it look really easy, but it's very hard. And then for Nick Kurtz, this is a guy too, who's been talked about since last year. We were talking about his draft last year and he's not, he had a whole nother year. He has a whole nother season to go. And for him to miss such a big game against LSU at the College World Series. I, I watched him. He had tears in his eyes in Omaha. I felt really bad for him. But I think he welcomes what's coming for him and for Wake Forest, a really unique club. And Tom Walter and what he's doing there with those guys, they're, they're on a trajectory that is just going up, up, up. And this is one of those guys whose bats is terrifying. He's a huge kid, and he just really – he's – He's like a, a normal kid who I do think has the potential to go number one overall next year. Yeah. Kurtz injured. Caglione struggling in his last game. Everyone in the entire world that's ever played college baseball would have given their right or left arm or pick an appendage to have been in their shoes with a shot to be there injured or be there and fail. You know, it's like my favorite team, the Dodgers are done and, and peacefully watched it and thought to myself, 26 other teams would have loved a chance to have, be playing games at this point. Those two dudes had that chance, and they're going to have many more chances. Uh, it's wonderful. It's wonderful what they've earned, and, and it's cool how they did it. Subscribe to this podcast. We need you doing so because then you'll see it when it drops. Um, and, and obviously, give us a review. 
if it's bad, that's fine. We'll do, we just want to review, and uh, we love your opinions. Um, this is a year of growth for this podcast. You're, you're in all likelihood going to see it places, which is concerning um, for many of you with my presence. Um, but again, we have like the cool background now, and uh, you know, for our viewers, our, this is our fourth season. The, we're gonna open, we gotta get we're gonna get the shop going soon. So keep an eye out for the shop. We're gonna have the gear, uh, all kinds of cool gear. You know you want it. Um, but uh, again, stay with us. We're gonna be here every two weeks, uh, bi-weekly, and the best players in all of college baseball. You're gonna get to know them because it's a draft preview. Danny and I, thanks for for hanging out with us. And uh, first day of school edition. It was it was so charming. We we really loved it. Darren's first day of school. See you soon. Thank <laughs> you.